Thank you, Pastor Paul. Thank you for that warm introduction. Um, so uh, it's indeed my, my uh, honor and privilege to share today's sermon with all of you. Um, yeah, it has been, so the last time I spoke with some of you, uh, it was 2015. That's already, that's going to be six years uh, come this fall. And it's wonderful to see how Forest Community Church has been thriving and growing uh, by God's grace. Now, Pastor Paul and I go way back. Um, actually, Pastor Paul, come this fall, it's going to be 30 years. <laughs> but how can that be? We're so both so very young, right? So three decades come this, uh, this fall. Um, and, you know, since then, we're very tight. So when he asked me to preach, you know, it's like, you know, you're preaching at your older brother's church. So, you know, what can you say? You got to say yes, right? Um, now, along with all of you this week, I was very surprised, quite surprised, um, to find out that Pastor Paul had COVID. And I'm sure you were all alarmed. And I've been in touch. I'm sure you have been as well. But I am thankful, along with all of you, that he seems to be doing well. And so our thoughts and prayers are, uh, again, with him for safe quick recovery and his family for their protection and their safety. So, um, well, anyway, you know, when you're preparing for message and I'm really thankful for Lee who really um, worked with me to do the slides because I kept changing it. <laughs> so um, originally I was going to, uh, I was going to touch upon three different um, passages and God showed me, well, no, you're just going to stick to one. <laughs> so um, so, we'll, so the, to set the context for today's sermon message, which is the new commandment or what's known as a love commandment, um, I want to I set the stage by noting that there have been many famous farewell speeches. For instance, Lou Gehrig's farewell speech at the Yankee Stadium when he was forced to retire because of ALS. Back then they didn't know it was ALS, so they called it Lou Gehrig's disease, right? And, and at, on that field, he famously said, despite all that setback, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. And more recently with Kobe, with his famous Mamba out for, for the sports fans, right? And Martin Luther King Jr. with his sermon slash speech entitled, I have been to the mountaintop, which he delivered at a church just the day before he was killed, where in that speech, he prophetically proclaimed that he's not afraid to die because he's been to the mountaintop. Um, in the Bible, there are also farewell speeches. Jacob in Genesis gives a farewell speech to his sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. And Moses to Israel on Mount Nebo, where God shows him the promised land, but he could not enter it. And King David and so on and so forth. But for us Christians, the most consequential farewell discourse was given by Jesus as recorded in John chapters 13 through 17. Now to set the stage, this was, the night of the Last Supper, where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist on what's known as Maundy Thursday. Now, as he looked out lovingly at his disciples, 
Jesus knew it was going to be the very last time he would talk to them as a group before his crucifixion the very next day, the Good Friday. The disciples had no clue. They were in a great mood, riding high from the triumphant entry four days ago on Palm Sunday. Now, being really tight with Jesus, the Messiah, their expectations were sky high. According to Luke 22, the disciples were actually arguing about who's going to be the greatest among them, each jockeying against each other for a higher position of status and honor. Now, Jesus knew what was in their hearts and minds. He also knew that Judas will betray him that night, that Peter would deny him three times before the next sunrise, and that all the disciples will soon scatter in utter fear and dismay as Jesus heads to Golgotha to be crucified. So the disciples didn't know it yet, but things will become, things will become very dark, very bleak for them imminently. Now, knowing all this, what is it that Jesus wants to say in his goodbye to them? What important message does Jesus wants them to remember in the coming storm. That is what Apostle John records in Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 17. And at the very heart of that farewell is what's known as the new commandment, which comes up first in John chapter 13, 34 through 35. Lee, if you can. Okay, so. There it is. So let's read this together. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Okay. Now, in, in unpacking Jesus's new commandment, I will start with the obvious. As Jesus calls out up front when he says, a new command I give you, Jesus's command is an imperative. Can I get that slide up, please? Just the second bullet. <laughs> okay, okay, so put, put that down for me. Thanks, Lee. So as he calls out up front, yeah, Jesus's new commandment is an imperative. It is not an option, not a suggestion, not a nice to do, could do, might do, but must do. It's an imperative. It's what Jesus commands us to do. So here, the way we understand love by the new commandment, to love means to obey Jesus in this. Now, Moreover, all three times that Jesus speaks the phrase, love one another. A new commandment, I give you love one another, first time. As I have loved you, so you must love one another, second time. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, all three times. All three times that Jesus speaks the phrase, love one another, the grammatical tense in Greek that he uses is present active verb. And present active verbs in Greek, what that denotes is active continuous action. So Jesus, what Jesus commands 
in terms of loving one another, we are to do this continuously, not as a one-time thing or sometime thing, just a Sunday thing or a house house church thing, but an always thing in all places and all times. So given that the question for us, question for me, question for you, how aware and how intentional am I in obeying and fulfilling this command to love each other, love one another as Jesus loves us each and every day in all places and all times. Now, given, given this imperative, we might ask, what's at stake? So hence the title, what's love got to do with, do with it? Why is our obedience to Jesus's new commandment so important? For one, Jesus's imperative is formative. Thank you. Excellent. That is, Jesus's command tells us our identity as Jesus's disciples, as Christians, and as the church. Now, the word disciple in Greek is mathetes, which means disciple, student, apprentice. This word appears 261 times, 261 times in the New Testament. But how many times would you guess the word Christian comes up in the New Testament? Just three times. In Acts 11.26, Acts 26.28, and 1 Peter 4.16. So the first time it appears in Acts 11.26, it goes like this. So a for, for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, Saul, who is Paul, met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Here it is. The disciples, Mathetes, were called Christians first at Antioch. So biblically and in the early church, Christians are synonymous with disciples. They are one and the same. As an aside, um, how is it that, you know, today when we think of Christian, we have to use qualifiers like committed Christian <laughs> and disciples. And we, we talk about costly grace, cheap grace. Discipleship and Christian life, they were synonymous, right? So here, in addition, all the instances of you in the, in, the two, in the two verses, in the new commandment, every time you see a you, that is always in plural, second person plural form. So in the South, I'm in North Carolina, you're in Texas, we all say you all, right, y'all. So when you see that here, it's all plural, right? So in this sense, y'all that Jesus speaks are his disciples who are present with him, or what's the same Christians as we've seen in, in the, in the uh, New Testament usage, and what's the same, the church. In particular, when John wrote his gospel around 85, 90 AD, some 60 years after Jesus's death and resurrection, he wrote to the Ephesian church that he pastored. So what Jesus commands here, 
John is relaying to his Ephesus, Ephesian church, and by extension, all churches then and now. So coming back to what's at stake in the new commandment for us, is nothing short of our identity as disciples, as Christians, as the church. So who are we? According to Jesus, disciples, Christians, the church, which of course includes Forest Community Church, are those who love one another as Jesus loves us. That is who we are called to be. That is our identity. Now two, Jesus's imperative is not only formative, but also performative. So that should be the, thank you. Okay, so it's also performative. So Jesus's command tells us not only who we are, but what we are to do as disciples, Christians, and the church. That is, Jesus's command specifies both our being and doing, our person, our identity, and our work as disciples, Christians, and the church. And what is this work? Verse 35 says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, by your love, by the way we share our love, by the way we love one another, everyone will know that you are Jesus's disciples. As such, it points to Christian witness, Christian evangelism, and Christian mission. Here, we can directly relate the new commandment, what Jesus said now, right before his death on the cross, with the great commission, what the resurrected Christ said right before his heavenly ascension. So Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples. Here's the word disciples again, right? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Notice how the word disciple is here too. So our great commission is to make disciples. Who are the disciples? Those who love one another as Jesus loves us of all nations. Now imagine nations full of Jesus believers, lovers, who, whose chief characteristic, whose primary identity is, is shown by love for one another. Okay, now the thing is whether we recognize it or not, we always witness to something. But the question is, what do we witness to? On the one hand, take the book, Unchristian. You're probably familiar with this. Barna Group, in year 2007, they conducted a research in the US with people from ages 16 through 29, So that's millennials, right? And what they researched was to survey and to find out what their predominant perceptions 
of Christians. And what it included were negative traits such as hypocritical, insensitive, judgmental, and there wasn't any mention of love or loving what we expect to find if you were to obey Jesus's new commandment. Now, it's a glaring indictment of Christian failure to witness to love. But on the flip side, though, I think it's a huge opportunity to witness to Christ's love. Now, on the other hand, remember how you came to believe in Jesus. I mean, it's really rarely, and certainly wasn't my case, that we come to we come to our conversion, we come to believe because of a knockdown argument of apologetics. Wasn't it instead love, the warm welcome, love and fellowship that somehow this church, this house church, this small group, something was different from a Christian community that is characterized by love, that drew you in, that drew me in. In fact, that's probably what drew you to, I'm guessing, Forest Community Church or your particular house church, right? Yes. <laughs> All right. Okay, now it is said that Christians read the Bible to know God, but non-Christians read Christians to know God. So the question is, do non-believers, do seekers experience Christ's love from my witness, from our witness. So to recap, Jesus's imperative is both formative and performative of who we are and what we do as disciples, Christians, and the church. And the question again is how aware and intentional are we in obeying Jesus in this? Okay, now, but note that this love Jesus speaks of is not any love that arises from us naturally, independently, as if sui generis, that is love that's generated from us on our own. In other words, we are not called to love each other with our finite, limited human love, but rather the Greek used here for all instances of love mentioned is agape divine love that originates, originates not from us, but from Jesus to us, so that the agape love that Jesus commands to share with each other flows from Jesus's agape love to us. It is love then that is utterly dependent, utterly conditional on Jesus first loving us. Jesus's as I have loved you, precedes and conditions our loving each other. So we are able to agape love each other only because Jesus first agape loved us. Agape is therefore Christ, the creator's divine love, which Christ himself enables us, the created, to receive and participate in it. And as Jesus is fully divine and at the same time fully human, agape is perfected, fulfilled in Jesus's divinity 
and his humanity. And in Jesus, creator's agape and creation's agape comes together. Thus, what makes the new commandment new is Jesus. Jesus makes all the difference. Now, speaking of commandment, what then is the relationship between the new commandment and the greatest commandment? Thank you. Before that, do you have the Matthew 22, 37, 39? Thank you. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. Whereas the greatest commandment, for the greatest commandment, the principal actor, the doer is us who are, to, who are commanded to love God and our neighbor. But in the new commandment, notice it is Jesus who alone is perfect in his love of God and love of neighbor, whose love enables us secondarily to fulfill both the greatest commandment and the new commandment. As an aside, and hopefully maybe this will be a um, topic for a sermon at another point in, point in time, the difference between agape love or divine love versus human love is an all-important distinction that can be beautifully and powerfully examined in depth with Jesus's foot washing and Peter's response in the earlier part of, th of 13, which sets up Jesus's. So Jesus's act of foot washing proceeds and sets up his new commandment. I try to wrap that in, There's, there was just no way we could do this today. But anyway, okay, so we'll part that. So implicit in this, implicit in all of this, Jesus gives us a more fundamental foundational identity. And what is that identity? Thank you, right? What is that identity? As Jesus declared, as I have loved you, makes clear that identity is that I am Jesus's beloved. So who am I? I am Jesus's beloved. Okay, we'll pause here. Can everyone repeat after me? I am Jesus's beloved. Okay, all right. Now, throughout the gospel of John, he does not refer himself as John, but as either the disciple whom Jesus loved or the beloved disciple, which he does five times explicitly in the book of John. Now scholars, as scholars often do, they debate <laughs> why he referred to himself this way. Now some speculate that it was to keep John anonymous for safety and security reasons, since Christians were severely persecuted at the time of his writing. And still others cite his modesty, his humility, humility in, in not uh, pointing out his own name. But isn't there a much simpler yet much deeper theological reason? Because it is 
to him, it is his most important, his truest identity that above all and by far, John saw himself, he identified himself as Jesus's beloved. This is why he's known as apostle of love. Moreover, given how theologically rich the gospel of John is, and those of you who have taken um, John discipleship know this, right? <laughs> if, you've if you've taken it with Pastor Paul, you know, you can appreciate how richly theological and Christological gospel of John is. Um, and because of that, he's also known as the theologian, apostle of love, as well as the theologian. Now, if you take the two together, John's theology then at its core is theology of God's love, is theology of Christ's love. And if the gospel of Jesus is the greatest story ever told, it is also the greatest love story ever told. And in that all of the Bible testified to Jesus, then the Bible is God's love letter to us. All of the scriptures testify and affirm the triune God's love for us, most supremely in Jesus Christ. And as you are aware, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The King James Version, I always get on that one. <laughs> which, the, this verse, which Martin Luther called the heart of the Bible or the gospel in miniature. All of this points to the fact that the most profoundly the most profound theological truth in my life is that Jesus loves me, is, is that Jesus loves me. Now, Karl Barth is a renowned scholar. Um, you know, Pastor Paul and I share our mutual love of Karl Barth. Um, if you see behind me over here, this whole stack, this whole stack is Karl Barth. Um, and so when he, um, at one point he was touring the US and, and he was asked to sum up his considerable theological writings that well exceeded 40,000 pages of densely packed theological writings, um, a, a, a lifetime work. His answer, he simply said, and this is what he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's the sum of it. Now, everyone say with me again, I am Jesus' beloved. I am Jesus' beloved. Say with me, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Okay, now turn to each other for those people that are viewing this together. And and say, you are Jesus's beloved. And then let's finish by saying, I love you as Jesus loves us. Amen. Now, the fact that I am Jesus's beloved 
the fact that I'm Jesus beloved is my most important foundational identity, of course, does not negate my other identities, but rather makes all the difference in how I understand and perform these subordinate roles or identities. Now, so how does knowing that I am Jesus's beloved shape how I should love as a husband, as a son, a father, teacher, Asian American? And moreover, in terms of practical everyday things, how does it make a difference in the way I interact on social media, discuss politics and religion, respond to racial injustice, et cetera? Now, if I'm left to my own device, my default is, you know, I'm a do it kind of person. My default is to ask, what do I do? What do I got to get done? Right? What decisions or actions must I make? Now, Jesus in the love commandment forces us to change the whole framework. Instead of going straight into the question as what do I do? Jesus exhorts me to start with my identity as his beloved and then asking what decisions or actions befit my identity as Jesus's beloved. So the goal then is not how do I get the job done, but the Christocentric goal of how do I love one another as Jesus's beloved. Whether it's with my spouse or my kids, it's not about winning my argument or getting my way, but the focus should be how do we better love each other as Jesus loves us. Instead of reacting like for like on social media, and well, like to like is more like escalating, <laughs> or in heated family discussions, uh, no, you know, no matter what it is, politics, you know, red state, blue state, what's the best way to love one another as Jesus does? And what does this mean for us individually? I think I have, do I have this, Lee? <laughs> ah, there it is. Know you are Jesus' beloved. Be Jesus' beloved and do as Jesus' beloved. So know, be, and do, instead of jumping straight to do, right? Know that I am Jesus' beloved. Be Jesus' beloved and do or love as Jesus is beloved. Now, don't we need this all the more today? Now to say that two, year 2020 and 2021 has been challenging is a complete understatement, right? When 2020 began, my wife and I, I had hopes and dreams for a fabulous year, as I'm sure you all did. So that was a year where our, our third son, Stephen, was going to graduate from high school, go off to college. We we're gonna be empty nesters. We had trips planned. We had planned to do some renovation work. I had thoughts of you know, various courses I want to teach at Duke Vinnie School. And then <laughs> what happened? It shows you how fragile and how not controlled we're in, in our, of our lives, right? But then the pandemic took off. And then the racial justice issues hit. Then the election and transition to new administration now. 
vaccination rollout difficulties in the midst of now mutating COVID virus, et cetera. It has been one thing after another, right? I mean, I'm so over it. I, I mean, we're also over it, right? And haven't we heard enough of words like pandemic, quarantining, social distancing? I mean, that was, we never heard that in 2019, right? Zoom, as we're Zooming now, shelter in place, remote learning, flattening the curve, lockdown, unprecedented. There's a word for you. Unprecedented has been used so many times. It's unprecedented, right? So then it loses its, its meaning of unprecedented. Um, depression, loneliness, substance, and domestic abuse are all up. Social political discourse, whether in news, social media, and, and even in our own family, seem to become increasingly fractured, heated, polarized, and often sometimes, unfortunately, downright vicious and mean. Okay, so our society too seems very bleak. Not necessarily comparing to um, the Ephesus church when John wrote or the disciples is in the same trajectory of darkness. It feels bleak in that way. Then all the more, how might Jesus's new commandments speak to us today? How wonderful would it be to help each other all the more realize how much Jesus truly loves us? To know that in this time and place, isn't that a bomb to our soul. How healing would it be for the world to witness the love of Christ from us? Don't we need Jesus's agape love from each other too, right? Isn't that the best of us when we're at our house church, in our family, at our church? Now, how might sharing such, how might, how might such sharing of Christ's love become the salt and light of the world, being in the world, such love being in the world, but not of the world, but instead witnessing to the world with God's redemptive love for us. So as the title begs, as the sermon title begs, what's love got to do with it? If it's agape love from Christ to us, it means everything. For those of us who declare ourselves Christians, Jesus's disciples, the church, Jesus's command to agape love others as Jesus agape loved us is at the very core of our identity and our mission, our person and our work. And most of all, it means that we are Jesus's beloved, who are called to love others as Jesus loved us. Now, it is by this love by which all, both Christians and non-Christians alike, will know that we are Christians, Jesus's disciple, the church, his beloved. Amen. Now, I'd like to close with a couple of application reflection questions, and then a story. First, how can I abide in Jesus and know that I am his beloved today and every day? And you can replace that I as, thank you, Lee, uh, with house, church, 
um, Forest Community Church. For that matter, you can also put in there uh, my mar our marriage, our family, et cetera, right? Um, this, this, is, this is what really helps. Um, Pastor Paul, he's, he does daily bread. I'm just, <laughs> I am, you know, so with Pastor Paul, you, in terms of teaching, in terms of leading, preaching, teaching, that's the place to be. He will help you. He's an awesome shepherd. He will help you abide in Jesus, as I'm sure many of you already know, right? Whether it's your, so the question is, how can you, how are you uh, called in particular, whether it's quiet time, whether it's Good Shepherd College, which you have such an extensive list of um, with great material, John Discipleship, highly, uh, you know, highly recommended, Genesis, uh, of course, Cornerstone. Um, and then House Church, how can the meetings at House Church be really a place where the love for each other as Jesus loved us flows and is showing and Jesus, Jesus and Jesus's love is at the center. Second, second uh, application, in what concrete ways, big or small, can I share Jesus's agape love today? When we wake up, instead of going through emails and going through all the to-do lists, what if our foremost thought is in what concrete ways? One, maybe one way, just one small way that I can share Jesus's agape love today as he commands us to and as we obey out of faith and love. So I want to close with uh, my sharing about when I first met Pastor Paul. Can you, Lee, can you put up some pictures? And I showed these pictures way back in 2015 at the, uh, there it is, young people there. This is circa 1992, I believe. And this is, as you see, young, handsome man over there. That's Pastor Paul and that's me. This was my first year at the business school. I believe this was our spring retreat. That's Ed Kang in the middle. Um, he was a retreat speaker. At the time, Pastor Paul wasn't ordained at that time, he, he was, he, but he was in charge of um, college ministry at Stanford. And um, I, I just joined that staff, I think in that spring. So that's us, this is 1992. And then the next picture, please. Ah, there we are. <laughs> this is 2004. This is, uh, this is when Pastor Paul was at Baylor. Getting, doing his PhD and, or did you get a PhD? I can't remember, but this was in Waco and we stopped by um, on our driveway out to North Carolina when I, to start my MDiv at, uh, at Duke Divinity School. And then the next picture, Jamie and my lovely wife, Karen. Okay, so my sharing about Pastor Paul. Um, this is fall of 1991. I moved from Boston to Northern California to start my um, MBA at Stanford Business School. Now, in, in, uh, in Boston or Cambridge, um, 
I was, I was at a small Korean American church. Um, Kyung, who is also, I think, on, on this uh, Zoom, my my brother-in-law, he and I both uh, attended that church, and we um, we taught. <laughs> bless the kids. We we taught junior high and high school together. But anyway, um, it was a very small, 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 uh, small church in Cambridge with a few young adults, you know, like myself. And so when I moved to um, California, I vowed I'm going to go to a much bigger church. No more small churches, right? And so, um, my, but my first Sunday in the Bay Area, I visited a church in Palo Alto because a friend I knew in the area invited me to the church. And lo and behold, it was a small church. <laughs> so I was deeply disappointed and I vowed I'm not going to return. This was my, I'm one and done here, right? I'm going to get a church and sayonara, right? Okay, now, when I was there, I did meet Pastor Paul that Sunday, um, who at the time, as I explained, wasn't ordained, but was head of um, college campus ministry at Stanford. We had a very brief meeting. I mean, it, I don't think it lasted more than a couple of minutes. So then, lo and behold, to my own promise that I made, I went to a much bigger church up closer to San Francisco City. And why I really liked how big the church was and the possibilities of fellowship with so many people, there was something clearly missing, discipleship, being fed biblically, theologically, and spiritually. So fast forward a couple of weeks, I was headed to Tresser, which is this large cafeteria on campus for students. So I went there, this is Wednesday, business school, they give you Wednesday off for networking and they call it like golf day. You're supposed to golf and network. So anyway, that was that Wednesday. I don't really golf. So I'm like, okay, I'm hungry. I gotta go eat. So I go to Tresseter. And then I was heading, as I was heading to cafeteria, I hear this voice, this Pastor Paul, you know, waving and saying hello to me. And some, you know, somehow he remembered me. So I, looking back, he was a wise pastor in the making, right? So instead of pushing me and saying like, why don't you come back to the church? He asked me how I'm doing, where I'm attending church. Am I happy there? And so I, I, I did tell him I was attending such and such church, but wasn't happy with the lack of discipleship and Bible study. So guess what he sprung? He said, let's do cornerstone Bible study, <laughs> right? So he said, uh, let's do this every Wednesday. You, you know, you know, nice California weather. We're sitting out, no humidity, no mosquitoes. Eat a little bit of lunch, do a little Bible study, right? Okay. And these were epic sessions. They were like really long, just him and me. But it, we went two plus hours on these things because I got questions. I'm asking him tons of questions. I'm sure deep inside, he's like, what is this guy doing? Right? So anyway. Um, there are two things I realized. First of all, great feeding. Oh, you know, those of you who did Cornerstone Bible study, you know what I mean, okay? So um, that's, not, that's no small thing, but the bigger impression that Pastor Paul made on me was his shepherd heart, his shepherd love for me. So you could say in a manner of speaking, Pastor Paul had me at hello. But that's because behind that hello was his agape love for me as Jesus' beloved. 
as your vision clearly states, Forest Community Church states, Pastor Paul was helping me become a good sheep to Jesus and over time, a good shepherd to others, as I am sure he is doing with you. Which means, per the uh, new commandment, helping me to abide in and receive Jesus's love for me. And in turn, with that love, loving others as Jesus loves me. So come this fall, it'll be 30 years when Pastor Paul and my bromance began. But foremost is a bromance in Christ for Christ's glory and the sake of Christ's love for all of us. And, you know, here we are. I never thought I'd go to <laughs> seminary. Um, and, um, and, you know, today I'm here sharing a message with you. Okay, so why don't we go to Lord in prayer? Dear Jesus, we thank you for your new commandment, the love commandment. It is by your agape love that we understand who we are and what we are to do. And it is by your agape love that we can obey and fulfill your new commandment, the love commandment. To love then is to obey this commandment, which is life-giving and life-affirming. And more than anything, we are so, so grateful that you love us and made us your beloved. We repent that we are not more aware, more intentional in our loving each other as your beloved. So help us to seek each day, no matter in how small of a way, a way to abide and know your love. And from that love, love one another in a concrete, tangible way. May we do that faithfully and obediently in our marriage, in our family, in our house church, at our church, in the workplace, in all the places and all the time. We again pray for Pastor Paul. We thank you for watching over him. We pray for your healing and grace in his quick full recovery from COVID-19. And may you guard and protect the rest of his family as well. All of this we pray in Jesus's powerful agape love. Amen.